Welcome back to Shockingly Wicked. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to our previous episode. It was our first episode and your guys' responses were amazing. I know. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be recording episode two of Holmes. And I'm also ready to get done with him because... <laughs> yes, we would like to be completely done with him because he's just way too much. Like, I don't want to afford this much brain space to, yeah, to him. Yeah, and it wouldn't be bad if he wasn't so annoying. <laughs> His life is just stupidly complicated. I'm over it. <laughs> and it doesn't get any less complicated from here. But if you don't know who we are, uh, I'm Brianna. I'm Brittany. We are your hosts for Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you cases from the headlines to the hometowns. Um, so Britt's going to give you a quick recap of our previous episode, and then we'll go ahead and get right into part two. As you guys can see from the title, we're doing part two of H.H. Holmes. Um, if you don't remember last week or you didn't listen to that first episode you probably want to go listen to the first episode because you're going to be a little confused because there's no simple way to discuss H.H. Holmes so we talked about his early life um, his time in medical school him changing his name and his first two murders Emmeline and Julia right correct Technically, we can say 2.5 because there was also a child murdered in there as well. Yeah, and Tom. Oh, yeah. That's assuming Tom was murdered, but, you know, we're, we're saying Tom was murdered. We're going to say Tom was murdered because who's going to check me, huh? Yeah, I was about to say nobody can tell us otherwise. Who's so. going to check us? <laughs> um, oh, and we also talked about his hotel, which is dubbed the Murder Castle. Ooh. <laughs> We're obnoxious, so sorry. So, I mean, I'm not sorry. <laughs> this is who we are. Yes, this is, it's part of our charm. Um, <laughs> you assume we have charms. I mean, I like to think, I like to think we're charming. I mean, you just got married in October, right? So, yeah. I mean. Lot, I'm a lot more charming than Holmes, I like to think. Uh, I think I'm a lot hotter than Holmes, but who's going to check me? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to dive right in. So uh, we mentioned that in this next part that we were going to talk about a couple more wives. Because um, this guy, I guess, couldn't get enough of, like, marrying women illegitimately. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I guess it's better than the latter, marrying children. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, true. Or just murdering the women. So, I, I mean. he did do that. Yeah, but I mean, he did. Well. He did murder one of one of his quote unquote wives, um, and that's the first one we're going to talk about. <laughs> so depressing. <laughs> it's very depressing. Um, her name was Minnie Williams. Um, she was an aspiring actress, but it didn't really go anywhere, and so she started to do more office work, and that's how she ended up working for Holmes. But before we get to all of that, um, we're going to talk a little bit about her past and what kind of intrigued Holmes about her. Ooh. Minnie is one of three children, I believe. She had a sister and a brother. She's actually um, a mouse, and she <laughs> works at Disney World. <laughs> You can visit her in Florida and in California. She signed my autograph book when I was seven. There's also Hong Kong, um, I think Paris, and oh. one other place, Tokyo. Oh. Tokyo. Um, okay. 
Anyway, back to our regularly scheduled programming. That's our side job. <laughs> okay. Um, so they were orphaned at a young age, and um, they, I guess, were distributed to different people to kind of raise them, which I thought was distributed. Kind of weird. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, like, um, her sister went to somebody else, her brother went to somebody else, and then she um, got taken in by an uncle who became her legal guardian. So it was just kind of like, did they just not have the financial needs to? take care of all three of them at the same time or what like that that's i thought fair. it is probably wasn't super organized considering it was in the 1800s i mean that's that's fair i don't know if the adoption <laughs> ways are the same probably not but yeah I, I would i would highly doubt it and if they are i have some questions uh, <laughs> okay so when the uncle died it wasn't like close to when her parents died but eventually when the uncle died um she inherited his property and i guess a nice chunk of change so she got that money <laughs> which obviously we know Holmes is very uh, fascinated by. Money hungry. <laughs> the book I was reading, I mentioned it in our last podcast, but it was called The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Um, it mentioned that they had previously met in Boston Ooh. before she came out to Chicago. So it wasn't like they didn't know each other. The thing is, is that when she met him in Boston, he was under the alias Harry Gordon. So she didn't know about his H.H. H. Holmes name until she came to Chicago. How do you explain that? I just, how does that get brought up? Oh, I know we met when I was Harry Gordon, but here I'm actually H.H. H. Holmes. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what he did. Kind of like um, Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. Um, she knew him as Harry. They had kind of had almost like a long distance relationship of sorts um, where they would like write letters to each other and he would go to visit her and whatnot. But that eventually started to dwindle, I imagine, as he got too busy with his murdery stuff. Side hustle. You know how things, <laughs> you yeah. know how it be. He, he had some, some business to take care of. But because the World's Fair was happening, um, the city and then she also knew that he was in Chicago. So both of those facts made up her mind to move from Boston over to Chicago. So initially she got a job at a law firm as a stenographer, which is the same thing Emmeline was doing. Um, and she wrote a letter to Harry Holmes to tell him that she was going to be moving to Chicago. And so he convinced her to work as his personal stenographer instead. And, you know, if he wants you to work for him, it's probably not a good thing. Don't work for him. <laughs> his explanation... So this is a quote directly from the book. It said, but he imposed a curious stipulation. Minnie was to refer to him in public as Henry Howard Holmes, an alias, he explained, that he had adopted for business reasons. She was never to call him Gordon, nor act surprised when people referred to him as Dr. Holmes. She could call him Harry at any time, however. Okay. So he's basically making it out to be like Harry Gordon's his actual name and that H.H. H. Holmes is an alias, when in reality, they're both aliases for Herman Webster Mudge. Oh, yeah. Oh, budget. Who wants to be named Herman, I guess. So I, that's valid. One thing that I found interesting was that she was described as being pretty plain, like looks wise, which compared to his past victims, wasn't necessarily somebody he would typically go for. You know, she was blonde. That's a good question. I actually don't know. I know in one of the like documentaries I watched, she was portrayed by somebody who had red hair. But the description that was in this book mentioned she had dark eyebrows. So I don't know if that means that her hair was dark, too, because I've seen people who are blonde who have dark eyebrows, you know? Yeah, that's fair. 
basically she was kind of plain. She was short. Um, she was kind of on the heavier side. Well, let's be real. He probably knew she had money. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's definitely the main reason why he was enticed by her. Like, I, I have no doubts about it. Yeah, so he said, hey, girl, <laughs> come back with me to Chicago. Yeah, um, and she was also described as having, like, a baby face and being Aww. kind of naive as well. I think he definitely took advantage of the fact that one, she had money and two, she was naive. So she would kind of believe anything, you know, that and she probably um, not saying she was ugly, but she probably didn't get many men interested in that's her. also possible. Yeah. So he probably took advantage of that as well. Mm-hmm. So she and Holmes were quote unquote married, but that marriage was never actually registered with the state. So it, if there was a ceremony, um, it wasn't a legal one. I mean, it wouldn't have been legal technically anyway, because he was already married twice over. Yeah. So the book mentioned that it was just a very like small wedding for him and Minnie, um, that it was just like those two and the preacher. They were referring to each other as like husband and wife. So it was probably like some courthouse. Yeah. Well, probably not a courthouse, probably like a little church. Thing. Yeah. Just just to like for show. And yeah, because she was naive, she probably believed that that's something he would have like taken care of on his own. But yeah, there's no record of their union in the marriage registry of Cook County, Illinois, which is where that happened. Because it was fake. Yep. But after they were married, he had convinced her to transfer the deed to like her properties in Fort Worth, Texas to an alias, which he later transferred to Benjamin Pitzel under another alias. If you guys don't remember Benjamin, he was the alcoholic that we spoke about in the first episode. Yes, he was the one who basically brought one of the other victims, Emmeline Sagran, to Holmes's attention. Yeah. He was his right-hand man, essentially. Up until the very end. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> she obviously didn't realize that these were aliases that he was using, so she didn't realize that she was signing her stuff over to Holmes and that yeah. he now had possession of basically all of this stuff. <laughs> Which on her part, that was a little dumb considering she could have, she was essentially signing over everything she owned to a stranger. Yeah. I'm sure he managed to make it sound like it was going to be a good deal somehow. Yeah. And I mean, if she was not as smart as they're saying, mm-hmm. then like, yeah. it, that probably wasn't very difficult to do. He did another, like he did a second thing where he established the Campbell Yates Manufacturing Company. I guess he described it as a firm that bought and sold everything. Really, it didn't do anything. It was essentially just a shell company with a couple of aliases he'd used in the past. So H.H. Holmes was one of the officers, M.R. Williams, which is Minnie, Mm -hmm. Hiram S. Campbell, which was the name he had put the land deed of the murder castle under. Mm, Yeah, that's right. Then there was uh, Henry Owens, and he was somebody who was employed by Holmes. Holmes would have been a good mobster. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then there was uh, A.S. Yates, who is supposed to be a businessman living in New York City, but he also did not exist. (laughs) Oh, okay. So love that. Yeah, it was basically just to hold assets, um, provide a reference for anyone who became skeptical of Holmes's promissory notes. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, a shell company. (laughs) Before that became popular, I guess. (laughs) He probably didn't pay taxes. Oh, most most definitely not. Henry Owens, he signed an affidavit later swearing that the secretary of the company, he had met both Yates and Campbell. He did this because he said that Holmes persuaded him by promising him his back wages 
And that, quote, I candidly believe that he had a certain amount of influence over me. While I was with him, I was always under his control. And then he also said he never actually received those back wages. So Holmes made promises. He never followed through. It's like shocking. (laughs) Yeah. Are we surprised? (laughs) Yeah. So this is another thing about the murder castle, because, like, obviously, Minnie's living there now. Oh, yeah. I forgot he still has this <laughs> For now. Uh, yeah. So basically, because the World's Fair was still going on. And he's still what? In his 30s? You would think that all of this stuff happened over, like, a decade. This happened in, like, five years. <laughs> Just I, this is insane. keep this in mind. This happened all within the span of five years. Basically, even though, like, Holmes's second and third floor rooms were mostly empty, it said that whenever male visitors came to ask for accommodations, he would basically say that he had no vacancies, he'd refer them to other places, but obviously once women came around, he would be like, hey, I'm gonna... <laughs> slip them on into my murder rooms, you know? Come on in. So Minnie became very jealous, very similar to Murda, where she kind of took more notice of his attention he was paying to all of these younger women. She was inclined to kind of stay very, very close to him, less so than what Murda did, where she pulled away. She was just like clingy almost. Yeah. Obviously that annoyed Holmes. It it was inconvenient because now it was just, I need to get rid of this (laughs) because it's not not working for me. (laughs) So Holmes and Minnie rented an apartment uh, in the Lincoln Park neighborhood of Chicago in May of 1893. That was mainly so that he could get rid of her from the murder castle, essentially, so that he could kind of just put her off somewhere else so she wouldn't be constantly like in his business. Yeah. Um, Which is something he does a lot. Yeah. And then Minnie's sister came to visit. Her name was reported in different ways. Like I saw uh, Annie, Nanny, and Nina. (laughs) Okay. So like I mostly saw Annie and Nanny. So I'm assuming it's one of those. Neither of the Williams sisters were seen alive after July 5th of that year. Oh, so he killed her sister too. That's, That's what people think. Mini sister Anna, Annie, Nanny, whatever. Uh, she was skeptical of the romance um, when she came to visit. We'll call her Annie. Yeah, we'll call her Annie. She was skeptical of the romance because one, it was advancing very quickly, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so she also kind of knew that her sister was just very sweet, very naive. She was too trusting. Yeah, so yeah. she didn't think that. It was possible for someone like Holmes, who is, again, described as charming, handsome, all these kind of things for the times, why he would have gone after her. She was skeptical. She was like... Uh-uh. Got my eye on you. <laughs> yeah, although that's kind of, that's a mean thing to say about your sister. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're not pretty. Like, you're kind of, you're kind of on the ugly side, girl. <laughs> yes. I don't know if he's going to want to date you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think we have any details of, like, how he did it. He probably, like, chloroformed her, to be honest. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, actually, in his memoir, which I have read since <gasps> our last episode. <laughs> I know. I know. This is my round of applause for Brie. I, She'd be going the extra mile. <laughs> so I was reading it up until, like, right before we started filming. So <laughs> anyway. She was also eating a bell pepper. Yeah. I mean... Listen, I, I have to multitask and I'm not very good at it either. So <laughs> I was eating a bagel, so it's fine. Okay. So in his memoir, his explanation, I mean, okay, let me just say his memoir, load of crap. Just gigantic load of bullshit. <laughs> Which you, you expected because yeah. he's a pathological liar all the way up until 
his dying day. Yeah, I absolutely believed that it was going to be full of crap, but I didn't realize how full of crap it was going to be. You're like, it's essentially, I just wasted my time reading this yeah. because it's a book of lies. Yeah, he basically tried to pass off all of the murders that he committed of Benjamin Pitzel, which we'll get to next, and his kids and a couple of other people on to Minnie Williams, who he also <laughs> killed. <laughs> but okay. he saying that uh, Minnie had run off to London or something like that and was living there with some guy named Mr. Hatch, who is from all accounts, just completely fictional dude that he made up to be the boogeyman who had killed the kids of Benjamin Pitzel. So it was basically him just making up all of these excuses as to why he didn't kill anybody. He was a totally innocent party. Oh, bull. He also said that Minnie killed her sister because she was jealous of the attention that she was giving to Holmes. Bull. He claimed that he helped her clean up the crime scene, so to speak. But yeah. <laughs> Whatever. That is bull. Yeah, it's absolutely bull. And so I couldn't understand how he thought that he could convince people. He wrote this while he was in prison to try and win over public opinion, essentially to make it so that his punishment, if he got a punishment, would be less severe than death. Because you see that a lot, mm -hmm. which it's kind of ironic because you're killing all these people, but yet you don't want to die. Yeah. Who published this? Because I got a bone to pick with them. <laughs> so Jerry came back with a verdict on his case, which we'll get into a little bit more detail in a bit. Obviously, he was guilty. So he wrote this memoir. In its final pages, he stated, in conclusion, I wish to say that I am but a very ordinary man, even below average in physical strength and mental ability, and to have <laughs> and to have <laughs> planned and executed the stupendous amount of wrongdoing that has been attributed to me would have been wholly beyond my power, which I imagine must have hurt him really, really badly to have to write, because I imagine he thought very highly of himself. <laughs> like Herman, who are you? Kidding. But yeah, he asked the public to kind of suspend disbelief. I know he had secured a deal with somebody to like publish his memoir because I imagine that he had a lot of money. Yeah. And I imagine that there was a whole lot of hysteria around the case, too. So it's like any publishing company who wanted to make a whole bunch of money was going to take their chance to publish a book by this alleged murderer. You know, yeah, it's kind of like how newspapers nowadays they want to be the first person to publish a story they don't necessarily care if it's accurate they just want to be yeah. the first one because then they're going to get the most clicks well probably <laughs> most bought newspapers yes. i don't think they have clicks in <laughs> well you know what i was talking about now it's fine uh, <laughs> yeah so he killed minnie he killed her sister in his memoir he blamed minnie for killing the sister and then claims that she's still alive living in london with a fictional dude named Mr. Hatch. Who, with Emmeline and her husband? <laughs> yes, they're just... He just likes to send people to Europe. That's well, because it's just like, you're not going to be able to find them, so you can't fact check me. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fact check me, boy. Before I get into Benjamin Pitzel and his ultimate downfall, um, I want to talk about how he had attempted to murder Benjamin's wife, Carrie. He allegedly attempted six other murders. I don't think he was charged with that. But anyway, one of them was Carrie Pitzel, who was Benjamin Pitzel's wife. He attempted to have Carrie go into the basement of the house that they were staying together in in Burlington, Vermont. I believe this was after he killed Benjamin. Okay. And I'll kind of detail a little bit about this later. But after Benjamin was dead, he was like moving Carrie and the kids around to yeah. other places and 
yeah, I think it was kind of a game for him. But anyway, they rented this house and he wanted her to go into the basement to have her retrieve a bottle of nitroglycerin, which is a highly explosive compound. Oh, they just have it on in stock? Well, I think it was used in medicine to some degree. I don't know 100%, but he assumed that Carrie would just handle it carelessly and then end up blowing herself up. But Carrie was kind of suspicious, so she was like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so yeah. basically, that's the only reason why she didn't die was because she, rightfully so, was suspicious of him. As she should be. Good for her. Problem is, is though, she was charmed enough to allow Holmes to take three of her five children in his custody without her being present. Oh, OK. Well, I guess was was Benjamin and Holmes like good friends they knew yeah so they knew each other really well benjamin pitzel was essentially holmes's right hand man the two became very very close while holmes worked in the chemical bank building on dearborn yeah. street benjamin had agreed to help him with an insurance scam um one of those things that holmes just loved to do uh was to fake people's deaths and then collect on the insurance he had kind of been needing money he being benjamin i mean He's got five kids. He's a chronic alcoholic, which means he's probably not good at keeping jobs. That's fair. Um, I know you worked pretty closely with Holmes, so I imagine he worked in the hotel. I think it said that he did other odd jobs like woodworking because he was a carpenter, um, but he had a criminal past too. So yeah. yeah, so he agreed to help Holmes with this insurance scam. We basically pose Benjamin under an alias as like some sort of inventor who died and was disfigured during an experiment gone wrong and they would use a fake body to be the dead body and then they would collect on the life insurance and then Benjamin and his family would move, I think out west somewhere where they could live happily with all this money that they have. But Holmes got greedy because this insurance policy was uh, valued at $10,000. Which I'm sure back then was... Well, equivalent to about $318,000 today. Okay. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I, I had to look that one up because I was just like, I mean, I know $10,000 is a lot of money now. <laughs> but would I murder somebody for it? <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, I, yeah, I might murder somebody for $318,000. <laughs> I mean... Uh, that was a joke, yes, legally. Yes, legally speaking, that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, he basically agreed to do this. Holmes got greedy and decided to cut him out of the whole thing altogether. But obviously he didn't tell Benjamin that because Holmes's part was supposed to be securing the fake body to switch out with Benjamin's actual body. Yeah. So he made it seem like he had actually secured the body already when in reality, like the body was Holmes. No, Holmes. Pitzel. <laughs> the other guy. The other piece of garbage. And so around this time, Holmes was starting to get questioned by a lot of people. Like these women who disappeared, their family members and their friends would come around and start to ask questions because they were like, you're the last person who has seen this person. Where is she? Exactly. Like, where where are they? And he would make up all these excuses. But then there was also creditors coming to collect on debts that he owed because... Because remember, he doesn't pay his bills. No bills whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so he basically was deciding that he was going to start collecting on all these scams, build up some money, and then leave the state. So he 
set fire to the top floor of his castle. Oh. Blaze did minimum damage, but he filed a claim for about $6,000 on the policy. But the investigator, he was suspicious of arson, so he started to do more of an investigation. Holmes didn't actually collect on that money. Since he was doing this investigation, he was familiar with Holmes. And so <laughs> he couldn't go and collect this money himself. So he had hired one of his accomplices that we mentioned last time who would articulate the bodies. He hired him to go and claim the money but I think by that point he was kind of wary as well of Holmes so he yes. didn't end up doing it. It also says the guardians of Minnie Williams had dispatched an attorney to look for Minnie and to protect the assets of her estate because like we said earlier Holmes had had her sign over her things to him and then Annie's guardian had hired a private detective. All of these things were kind of culminating all at once. Like it's starting to get suspicious. Yes, basically. So it looks like altogether he owed creditors at least $50,000. And that was that time's money. So if you kind (laughs) of... Probably like a million dollars. Yeah, it is is probably around there. So that's a lot of money to owe. (laughs) Plus when you have people looking into you for that, they might find some some little suspicious things in your murder castle basement, you know? Yeah. The gas line. Yeah, yeah. Just little things here and there. That's of acid, you know. <laughs> the casual things. He was kind of working with the creditors a little bit, but he was just trying to get some information to see how close they were to deciding to arrest him. And yeah. because he found out that they were kind of leaning more towards arresting him, he decided to flee. I think he went to Fort Worth, Texas, which is where that property of Minnie's was. Yeah. Once he got there, he had, he had plans for the property. He planned to build like another similar type of castle that he had had in Chicago. But I don't think he ever actually got around to building it or he didn't finish building it because he couldn't secure enough money to do it. Because I guess nobody would really like loan him money. Which yeah, because he owes just <laughs> valid. <laughs> I think during the insurance investigations, they went to the hotel to try and find him, but they found he wasn't there because obviously he had booked it out of Chicago, but they decided to investigate, I guess, to go around the building. And this is like after he set it on fire. Yes. So this was while they were investigating right around the time that he had initially left Chicago. But we got to set the stage before we can talk about how he was actually caught. He left in July of 1894. Um, And that was the same time that these insurance companies were like, oh, there's some fraud here. So they decided to search the hotel themselves. And that's when they discovered some of the booby traps that he had in the hotel. Yeah, let's not catch the dude for murder. Let's catch him for trying to get money illegally. (laughs) Yeah. And so like they found all of these things in the hotel while they were searching. But he didn't actually get arrested until later. In July of 1894, he was actually arrested and jailed in St. Louis, Missouri for selling mortgaged goods. So another scam. While he was behind bars, the moron (laughs) that he is, that was the time that he decided he was going to do the scam to collect on life insurance after his release. But because he had already done these scams so many times, these companies were already wary of him. He decided to... Somebody else do it. Because they're going to be like, dude, you call him a death like every (laughs) 30 days. Yeah. But while he was in jail, he told his cellmate about this plan. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> so the cellmate was Marion Hedgepeth. He ended up ratting on him because, like I said, this, this moron talked about the insurance scam that he was planning. Idiot. Although at the time, he was under the alias of H.M. Howard, which I guess is also the alias he used when he was marrying Georgiana. So I think that's... He's getting less and less creative yeah. with these aliases. Yeah, I know. Um, this eventually ended up working in favor of the police because he ratted on him about having this plan with this insurance scam. And then he ended up carrying it out with Benjamin Pitzel. And so it's like, oh, well, that connects those dots, you know? Benjamin Pitzel came along with them. And then also his new fiance. Miss Georgiana Yoke. So she was his last and final. I don't know if they actually got married. Holmes says in his memoir that they had gotten married. He's but a full of shit. Yeah, he's he's a liar. So how much can we actually like genuinely believe him? He allegedly married her in 1894, married in Denver, Colorado. So at this point, he's like going all over the states. So just keep that in mind. So I might say he's in one place, one point and another place at some other point. And it's like, yes, yeah. he, he did a lot of traveling because he was running from the law. Yeah. <laughs> Quite literally. Um, he and Georgiana had only known each other for a very short amount of time. I think it was just a couple months before they ran off to Denver to get married. And she actually ended up being one of the key witnesses in Holmes's trial because the trial, they were charging him with the death of Benjamin Pitzel. Hmm. They didn't have concrete evidence to the fact that he had murdered these other people. They were pretty sure he did, but obviously the only one they could actually place on him was Benjamin. Um, and because she was in his life at this key point, she obviously was one of the people that they were trying to get more information out of. Before leaving Chicago, Holmes had acquired that life insurance policy on Benjamin Pitzel okay. for $10,000. But he had acquired it from the Fidelity Mutual Life Association of Philadelphia. So I think he had intentions of going in that direction. Like going to Philadelphia. And he was like, no, that'll be too easy. Yes, basically. Gotta go to Colorado. Yeah, so he, he was just all over the place. I don't understand him. He went from Fort Worth to St. Louis to Philadelphia and he committed fraud basically the entire way. As evidence of fraud accumulated, Fidelity had hired the Pinkerton National Detective Agency to search for Holmes. And so I think this is basically the last ditch effort for him. So they pick up on his trail in Burlington, Vermont, which like I mentioned earlier was the place where they were staying when he tried to kill Carrie Pitzel. Has he already killed Benjamin at this point? So he got greedy, cut Benjamin out of the deal altogether, basically staged his death to, like I said earlier, make it look like he had died in like some sort of mysterious accident and had caught on fire, you know. So instead of faking his death, he actually murdered him. Yeah. So the insurance company accepted the death as accidental and they paid out the money. But the medical examiner who actually like examined Pitzel's body had declared it as a homicide. And that's when the insurance fraud became suspected. How did he kill Benjamin? He knocked him out with chloroform before setting him on fire with, I think it's benzene is what it is. I just want to know how they thought that was an accident. Like I mentioned before, the original plan was to make it seem like he was an inventor and he died because of like some sort of explosion based off oh, of okay. something well, he was making. But like, <laughs> unless the room is completely messed up too, it's a little less believable. Did he kill his kids? Yes. Three of the children, I believe it was the three oldest, Benjamin's two daughters, Alice and Nellie, and then his son, Howard. 
Holmes later admitted he arranged the cadaver to make it look like an accidental explosion. Uh, he, yeah. he poured a solvent onto the body, uh, set it on fire, and then he said he positioned it in direct sunlight so that by the time the body was discovered, like the features would be distorted beyond recognition. And so then Holmes volunteered to assist the coroner in making an identification when they went to, I guess, exhume the body because they had kind of put it off into a place to preserve preserve it for evidence. So he actually went to help identify the body with their second oldest daughter, Alice, um, who identified the body from the teeth because... I guess to prevent her from seeing her father in that state, they covered she the. Must have really paid attention to her dad's teeth. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, I don't think I could identify my dad from his teeth. I was gonna say, <laughs> normal teeth or whatever. I don't know. That's why the insurance company thought that it was actually Pitzel. Yeah. Even though it was quote unquote a fake body, because it actually was <laughs> Pitzel. It actually was Pitzel, guys. Yeah. Plot twist. So after Benjamin died, he has the kids. Holmes has the kids. He traveled to St. Louis, where the Pitzel family was living um, at the time. Um, So he had Alice at that time, obviously, because he had taken her to Philadelphia to do this identification on the body. Um, So he persuaded Carrie to let him take custody of two of the other kids, explaining that their father, who was actually in hiding because he was still pretending like this was the fake body, you know, uh, was desperate to see them. So he took Nellie, who was 11, um, Alice, 15 years old, and Howard, who is eight, and he took them on a quote, strange and sad journey. He kind of traveled around with them. And so he was moving them around to different places. I mentioned St. Louis, Philadelphia. Um, There was a couple other places in like Indiana that they also stopped Mm -hmm. as well. The thing is, is that I don't think he understood necessarily what dealing with children was going to be like. (laughs) He was like, I'm not stopping for chicken nuggets. (laughs) We have chicken nuggets at home. What what makes it really sad is that Alice and Nellie both, I think, were writing letters to their mom, but Holmes wasn't delivering them. When they caught Holmes, they found these letters because the book actually has quotes from these letters in it. And one of the ones that Alice wrote, she didn't really like Holmes necessarily. Like she was kind of like weirded out by him. The, The quote said, I don't like him to call me babe and child and dear and all such trash. (laughs) <laughs> okay girl yeah i was like yeah i mean i, w- I would write that <laughs> I, you know good on her yeah obviously alice could tell that he was a little weird so he had a i guess it was a tin box that said property of hh holmes on it that had a bunch of documents and stuff from the girls inside of that box um the children basically had gone missing at that point because they like the last time Carrie had ever seen them was with Holmes. Detective Frank Geyer, it was his job to investigate Holmes and like try to locate the children because Holmes was already in custody at this point. He was trying to get information out of him about where the children were because Holmes was claiming that the three kids were in London with Minnie Williams, but... Scotland Yard, which is uh, the UK's police force, they found no traces of them anywhere. Geyer was like, 
I don't imagine that my search is going to <laughs> come up with anything more significant. Yeah. I think he suspected that the kids were dead. Yeah. And didn't they end up um, finding like their remains or bodies? <laughs> yes. So. And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. So when they found the kids' bodies, they were both buried in the same grave, kind of like laying on top of each other. Yeah. They'd been buried nude. Did he raped them? I hope he didn't. But the weight of Nellie's hair had pulled the scalp off of her head. Um, you can't see my face, but it's pure disgust. They found out that Nellie's feet had been amputated. Um, and the reason for that was because Nellie was club-footed, so they think that he removed her feet to keep people from identifying her body. Yeah. Because that was a very distinctive thing. And club-footed is when, like, the foot is turned at, like, a weird angle, right? I think so. I don't know 100%. That's something I will have to Google. I'm Googling it, guys. Yes, Google it, please, and let me know what you find. Okay, so club-foot is when... So you have... (sighs) It's a normal foot, and then it's a normal position, and then... The club foot is like... Okay, so it's basically like the other, like, facing inward. Yeah, 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 yeah. The more you know. (laughs) Okay, so... And that is Club Foot, brought to you by Bruton. Mrs. Pitzel actually didn't find out that they had found the girls from the police. She found out by reading the newspaper because the detective hadn't had a chance to tell her before she read it. The way that Mrs. Pitzel identified the bodies was Nellie's hair um, that had been... Mm -hmm laid out because that was the only thing that they could really show her from her body. Um, and then it was Alice's teeth and hair. Um, just what about um, Howard? Howard was not buried with them. He, um, they believe he was chopped up and uh, burned in Irvington, Indiana um, because they found charred bones. Um, in- That's weird. He didn't bury them all together. Well, in one of the girls' letters, they mentioned how Holmes was getting annoyed with Howard. So I think yeah. he killed him first because he was just petulant. I guess he was. He, yeah. he was an eight-year-old. I was going to say he's eight. <laughs> so like he's he's a kid. He was really annoying Holmes, and so Holmes just was like, "All right, I got to get rid of this guy." Yeah. <laughs> um, when you got to get so Howard was the first one who who died, and then Nellie and Alice died. I think a couple of weeks later. But what's really what's really kind of sadistic about what Holmes did was that. Towards the end, before he had killed Alice and Nellie, was that he had Carrie, Pitzel, and the other two kids in a hotel just a couple of blocks away from the hotel that the the daughters were staying in, would not tell them, basically, that they were in the same city. I think in Carrie's testimony at the trial, she mentioned running into Holmes inside of a store. Oh, so it wasn't like planned. Well, he had put them in that hotel, but I think he was staying at like a separate third place. I don't know. It was just very complicated, but basically they were all in the same city, but like they didn't know that the other person was there. That is I mean, he knew that they were there, obviously. Which makes no sense because he didn't have to take these kids. He could have just gave them back to Carrie. Detective Geyer kind of realized that it was a game he was playing like knowing that they were all just so close together but not able yeah Yeah. detective guy believes that he was getting off on 
playing these games with the Pitzel family. And it's just like, you already murdered their father, and then you go and murder the three kids. Like, for what? Because you could have gave them back to their mother. Exactly. You didn't have to take these kids. I don't know what kind of joy he got out of doing this, but... Clearly, he's just a sadistic... I think he's a sociopath, but... I mean, I don't have a medical degree. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you need a medical degree to determine that much, at least, but... While Holmes was in prison, I think he believed that he wasn't actually going to be charged. Uh, He thought he was going to be able to get out. Yeah. So while he was in Texas, um, (laughs) he became wanted for horse stealing and larceny. That is the most Texas thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. Horse theft. Uh, That's what you're going to jail for, my dude. Yeah. So he ran again, but he was apprehended in Boston. And at the time, he thought he was only suspected of the crime of horse stealing. So he voluntarily, (laughs) yeah. So he voluntarily confessed to the insurance fraud, not realizing that at the time they were also suspecting him of the murder. What a fucking idiot. Oh my God. Uh, Like I said, Frank Geyer was searching for these kids everybody believed that he had murdered these kids he was insistent that they were well and good over in london with minnie williams and the fictitious mr hatch he was only ever actually charged i think with the murder of benjamin pitzel and the jury basically immediately came back with guilty of first degree murder Um, but they said they didn't want to seem like they were hurried so they quote unquote deliberated for an hour and a half just an hour and a half just 60 minutes (laughs) um let us debate yeah so it's like nowadays you know that if they come back even like within the same day that you're fucked so like if it's less than four hours deliberation you were fucked to begin with and they're just making it look like yeah they had to think about this they probably listen so they probably already immediately (laughs) knew that he was guilty this is just what I'm imagining in my head. They knew he was guilty, said it like as soon as they walked into the jury room <laughs> and then they sat and just shot the shit for like <laughs> the rest of the time. I bet that's that's the case. They were probably doing what we were doing where they're like this fucking moron. <laughs> fucking idiot. They're probably like playing quarters or whatever they played in the 1800s. I don't know. <laughs> fucking dumbass, bro. And so... I think I mentioned in the last episode, I was looking at newspapers in the Library of Congress uh, database, and there was one article that was actually talking about, I guess that reporter specifically had gone to inform Holmes's parents, Clara and Robert. Oh, I forgot about Clara. Throwback to his first wife. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I forgot about her. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did too, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) So this specific reporter went to inform them of the guilty verdict and it seemed like initially they had all kind of assumed that he was going to be acquitted but there was mixed results of hearing the news that he had actually been convicted yeah so his mother insisted that he was a good citizen up until he left them in 1889 which i beg to differ because he was murdering frogs and (laughs) tom Sorry, Miss Mudgett, but your son's a murderer. But this was the quote. Um, this is from the Evening Star, which is a DC newspaper from the Nova. Wow, that's the best newspaper name. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it a the lot. Evening Star. This was from the November fourth, eighteen ninety-five edition. Um, it said, "Quote: The newspapers have done us great injustice in this whole awful ordeal. I want you to say that until Herman left us some six years ago, he was the cleanest youth in town. We are not responsible for his conduct since." Bullshit. 
kid. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, the family history aspect, we know that it was kind of convoluted and conflicting information was out there. But uh, if you guys abused him, you're a little bit to blame. Not saying that you turned him into a murderer, but uh, you, you didn't help. Certainly. Yeah, yeah you, you definitely didn't instill any sort of like empathy or emotion into this man. So just uh, throwing that out there. <laughs> I'm a little bit iffy about that article just because it said that Clara was torn up about it. She probably been. I don't know if she would have been torn up about the verdict so much as just like... She's probably thinking Robert's not going to have his dad. Yeah. He's going to go to jail. And maybe... Holmes was probably... I don't have any sources. This is just off the top of my head. Um, but he was probably sending her money. Maybe. For I, Robert. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't think he would pay child support. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he didn't kill her. Yeah. But I imagine she probably was thinking, like, what if that had been me? Well, maybe. I don't know. It's it's complicated because she, I imagine, was... He probably did really love. Yeah. Cause like, In his own twisted ways. Yeah, because they were 16, I think, when they started dating or whatever, got married. I don't remember. I didn't listen to the episode, like, 12 million times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Which is weird. I don't want to do that anymore. But then at the same time, I'm like, let me see how fucking dumb I sound. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's, it's kind of like he was probably her first love. I don't know if she ever got remarried. I didn't look that far into it. But yeah, it was just kind of like, Clara, this isn't your story. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, although I did do a little bit of research into Murda. She did. She got remarried, but the only reason I forgot about her. So the only reason, yeah, his his second wife. Um, the only reason why I did any research into her was because there was mention of some sort of heartbreaking letter that his daughter Lucy had written to him while he was in jail. I was trying to find this letter, and I could not find anything about this letter literally anywhere. Like no quotes, nothing. It was probably fake. Well, and that's the thing is like, that's why I was going back to read these newspapers because it mentioned that the letter had made headlines. And I was like, okay, well, if it made headlines, then I should be able to find something. Yeah, I found nothing. So I'm just like, does this even exist? You know, what I did end up finding, though, was um, Lucy's gravestone. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> there are these like memorial websites or whatever where you can send flowers to be placed on people's graves. So that came up <laughs> and it talked a little bit about her background in it and it mentioned the letter as well and that's why it popped up as a result in that little bio section but it didn't actually show the letter no i didn't because i'm i'm poor <laughs> I feel that in my bones. yeah so Murda did end up getting remarried and i Lucy turned out to be a pretty all-around great person from what I was reading. Like, she volunteered with the Red Cross and a couple other things. And, I mean, she probably had to, like, work two times as hard to <laughs> convince people that she wasn't like her dad. So I don't know. They probably didn't know him about by Herman Mudgett, so she probably didn't have to try too hard. Well, the thing is, is that her name was Lucy Holmes, because by the time that he had met and married Murda, he was already using H.H. Holmes. And so Murda kept the name Holmes, and so did Lucy. Yeah, I don't know why she kept it. Technically, that's not even... I mean, it is a legal last name, but that's not their legal last name. Well, that's the thing. She didn't actually know him as Herman Mudgett. So 
None of like people do. Yeah. So to her, Holmes was who he was. Yeah, I was doing a little bit of research on on her, but uh, not not a whole oh, lot. Did you find anything about Robert? I did not, but I found. We'll talk a little bit about it later. Um, when I mentioned this conspiracy theory stuff, he had a grandson named Jeff Mudgett. So I'm assuming Robert got married, had a family, and Jeff Mudgett is like his. I don't know if it's grandson or great grandson because I feel like it would be too. I don't know how old Jeff is. I, well, so Robert probably had a better life than Lucy. One because his last name was Mudgett. Yeah. Two because he's a man. Um, <laughs> yes. Eighteen hundred. Yes. <laughs> probably white. So. Yes. So after his trial, obviously Holmes, he decided to appeal. Obviously he lost the appeal, but there was a private detective in Chicago named Robert Corbett, who, uh, he's, Look, he Robert. made some like victim blamey, rapey, rape culture oh, comments. Robert, yeah. Dude. Um, cause this was in another copy of the evening star from January 22nd, 1896. But he said, quote, Holmes is a peculiar man and his relations with the various young women are the cause of his present predicament, unquote. Cause he, is he blaming the women? Yeah, basically he claimed that Holmes never actually committed any any of the murders in Chicago and that all of his victims except for Annie Williams are still alive and living in other states. So Okay, where's your proof, bro? <laughs> right? <laughs> so like where's your proof? You can't just be making statements like that with no proof. Yeah, exactly. It's like um show me the Carfax. Carfax. <laughs> Okay, so he was paid by the Hearst newspapers for his tell-all confession for a total of, at the time, was $7,500, which is about 238.4K today. But of course, most of the stuff he wrote in his confession was nonsense. So obviously he was sentenced to death. Before he was executed, he had a couple of requests. They always do. It pisses me off. Like, they're just going to die. Just why are we prolonging this with their stupid requests? Why do they even get requests? Like, I have questions. I think it's supposed to go along with the whole no cruel and unusual punishment type thing. Even prisoners still have rights, yada, yada, which like, sure. But maybe not this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's do that case by case. Yeah. He requested that his body be buried 10 feet deep, his coffin be encased in concrete so that nobody could dig up his body for uh, dissection. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. He knows that people did that kind of thing because he did it. (laughs) Like, they're gonna steal my bones, man. And I think there were a lot of scientific people and just, like, places that wanted access to his brain because they wanted to examine it or whatever yeah at the time though i'm just kind of like what would you have figured out it's not like <laughs> not like you have technology yeah you don't Does have that kind have of light bulbs what they have light bulbs i don't think so because i think at the world's fair <sighs> actually hold on i'm about to google this google it <laughs> was it thomas jefferson thomas edison thomas edison <laughs> You got the first name right. When was the light bulb? 1879. They did have light bulbs. The more you know. Um, But I know at the World's Fair, that was when they released like the first movie projector because back in high school, the only reason I know this is because back in high school, we did like a mock World's Fair uh, for our history classes. And so we had to like pick an exhibit. I never heard of the World Fair until this case. Nobody talks about it ever. Is that still a thing? Is the World Fair still? I don't don't think so. (laughs) But um, yeah, so like I, we had to each 
stage pick an exhibit that like premiered at the World Fair. And so I was interested in movies and film and all that kind of stuff. So I did mine on that project. That's the only reason why I know that. <gasps> there is still a World Fair. The last one, I don't think they did one last year because of COVID. Yeah. But in 2019, it was in Beijing, China. Ooh. Well, that's good to know. I don't want to go. <laughs> On May 7th in Philadelphia, Holmes, Herman Webster Mudgett was, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, it's such a stupid name. Um, Anyway, (laughs) May 7th in Philadelphia, he was hanged at about 10 o'clock in the morning. He was pronounced dead about 20 minutes later. The reason being that the executioner made sure that Holmes's neck wouldn't snap when he dropped because he wanted to prolong his suffering. That guy. If I knew him, I'd slide him a 20. <laughs> the day he died, he, he was about nine days away from his 35th birthday. So like ha! I said, Fuck that guy. he did all of this within the span of like 30 years, or not 30 years, wow, uh, about five years. Yeah. He came out the womb ready to kill. <laughs> he came out with the knife and the, the Michael Myers mask. <laughs> So in the memoir that he wrote, um, one of the quotes that he... Wait, can I sing it? Wait, can I sing it? Can I sing it? <laughs> yes. It's probably one of the most famous quotes people associate with him, and it kind of explained, from his perspective, his compulsion to kill. <clears throat> I was born with the devil in me. That sounds painful. Uh, <laughs> I cannot help the fact that I was a murderer no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world and he has been with me since. What? That is fucking stupid. Yeah, so essentially he was just saying that he was born this way. He was pulling a a Lady Gaga before Lady Gaga. And I mean, I don't know. There's some belief that these kind of people, like sociopathic people, are born. Some believe they're made quote unquote but it's basically the whole debate in psychology circles is nature versus nurture how much of it was genetic i disagree though because i think you're born born this way i mean i've seen it you can have perfect life perfect parents get everything you want and you're gonna still commit crimes Mm -hmm. so do whatever yeah so i think if you're i don't know not meant but I think you have to be a special kind of person to want to murder somebody. I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to go murder somebody. I, I thought about it, but I have more. You're going to tune in uh, a couple episodes from now and it's just going to be Bridge. She's going to tell you how to press <laughs> Today, I'm live covering Bree's case as I have my microphone and laptop and I sit here in the courtroom. <laughs> it's funny because my sister, she recommended that we change our name to Not Another True Crime Podcast. And I said, that's already a, a podcast name out there. Um, and so <laughs> she was just like, well, if you were a real true crime fan, you would murder them <laughs> and then cover the murder on your podcast. And I'm just like, yeah, OK. Obviously, she's joking. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Let's just put it out there, though. So I'm not going to lie. I came up with this name, but I was like, what is a good podcast name? And I wish that Ted Bundy movie was like a thrown in it. What is it? It's like extremely wicked or shockingly evil. Uh, Yeah, extremely extremely evil, shockingly wicked. No, I don't know. Something like that. It's not. Hold on. Extremely vile, shockingly evil, something like that. Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Ted Bundy, Zac Efron. Zac Efron. Ted 
wicked one extremely wicked shockingly evil and vile which is the longest fucking name for <laughs> yeah anyways so i was like um i'm just gonna put the first one and the second one together <laughs> and hope nobody else has listening for their podcast. um i haven't seen it so i think we're good i know i googled it and i was like shockingly wicked podcast <laughs> um going back to the the nature versus nurture thing i've always been of the belief that it's a little bit of both like you said, some people could have completely perfect circumstances and they still end up doing bad things, which yeah. 100% happens. But I do also think, at least in his case, if he had abusive parents, that definitely didn't help. No. And the bullies. Yeah, and the bullies. It prevented him from forming significant relationships. It kind of made him emotionally stunted. And I think more so the nurture aspect is the um, personality disorder part of it. Like I would 100% say Holmes has like narcissistic personality disorder. Oh, 100%. <laughs> he thought nothing could touch him. He could do whatever he wanted and get away with it. He's a pathological liar. <laughs> he repeatedly lied to women. Every single woman that he married, I think he had a different name. He was constantly lying, just did whatever the hell he wanted, thinking he could just do it. <laughs> oh, speaking of some conspiracy theories, have you seen where people think Jack the Ripper and Holmes are the same person? I have. Um, and it's funny because it's around the same time. So, like, I can understand why people would think that. Because um, I think it was around the time that the Jack the Ripper murders ended was about the time that Holmes started to become active, I think, in Chicago. So I could understand why people th would think that. I don't know. I don't think it actually is, though, because I don't. Either. I think Well, I think Jack the Ripper is like uh, two or three different people. I could see that when these things are being reported on a lot of the time you well, not a lot of the time, but sometimes you get copycat killers. So, yeah, that's what I am. I think because well, anyways, that's for a different. Episode. Yeah, that's a different episode. Um, we might talk about Jack the Ripper because I have books of Jack the Ripper sitting on my shelf that I haven't read and I need an excuse to read them. So. Um, in high school, I had a creative writing class mm -hmm. and it was like a we were doing some kind of poem and we had to do it on. I don't know. We did it on something and I ended up doing it on Jack the Ripper and I thought it was so deep. I was like, look at me. I think my poem was like, it was like from his point of view, but he was mocking the police. Interesting. I don't know. I, I did it on my iPad that the school gave me and then I had to give that iPad back. So. <laughs> I bet they were very concerned when they. <laughs> I was like, it's for my creative writing class because we had to say it in front of the class. Mm -hmm. And then people were like, nobody caught me. I'm just so misunderstood. <laughs> Uh, I would have gotten you. I would have been like, Thanks. right on, brother, in the back. Right on. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I don't think that Jack the Ripper and Holmes were the same person. I feel like Holmes might have been inspired by Jack the Ripper. Maybe, but I don't think that America really knew about Jack the Ripper until like later. Yeah, it's possible that the news hadn't really like made its way across the pond. Let's see. Another conspiracy theory. There are some people who believe that he somehow managed to escape being hanged and oh. that he managed to find a fake body to take his place and he oh. is he was ran away and was just living his life after the fact. 
However, <laughs> while I was doing research, an article popped up talking about Jeff Mudgett, who I believe they said is Holmes's grandson. Don't know how old he is, so I don't know if it's grandson or like great grandson, whatever. Where they had Holmes's body exhumed. Oh, you mean they dug it up from ten feet in the ground in the cement? Yes, and there was actually a fake coffin that was just a little bit of the ways down, just a regular like pine coffin that was meant, they think, as a decoy. <laughs> Who did this? Who is- I want to speak to this person. I have questions. Yeah. Then a little bit further down, they found the cement sarcophagus, which it's crazy. They said it took a little while to break into it, obviously, because it's like um. <laughs> so in ancient Egypt, when they would like mummify bodies, okay, that's what I thought. yeah, it's it's the thing that they would put the mummified bodies in. It's like it's the shape of a person, right? Yeah. What the fuck? He's so extra. I don't know if it was like a shaped sarcophagus or if it, they just called it a sarcophagus because it surrounded his coffin. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, they exhumed his body and they tested Jeff Mudgett his grandson's DNA against the body that was in there and the DNA and dental records came back with a conclusive link to him. So yes, Holmes died. He hanged. He suffered there for 20 minutes, suffocated. Good riddance. (laughs) Oh, that makes me think of that Green Day song. I, th- I feel like we've we've talked about this a lot throughout the past two episodes, though, is that he was definitely sociopathic. I want to say mm-hmm. bordered on psychopathic as well. There is slight differences between the two. I think that socio- sociopathic's when you can't have feelings, right? Yeah. You can mimic them. Yeah. I think he's sociopathic. You're a little bit more volatile when you're sociopathic, I think is what they said. Whereas if you're yeah. psychopathic, you're a little bit more controlled. And I think when you're psychopathic, you can still kind of feel remorse. Yeah. And so I think he had some traits from both. He definitely has the antisocial traits of not being able to like form emotional connections or meaningful relationships or like he had very difficult time doing that unless the relationship was somehow beneficial to him. Which I still feel like he did actually care about Clara. I feel like he did. In his own weird way, I feel like she is the one that he did care about. Mm -hmm. Um, He experimented on animals at a young age, so he manifested violent tendencies early on in life. So like we mentioned last time, that's the track that a lot of uh, serial killers and violent people take. They start off with that and gradually increase from there. He had an instability in employment. He was constantly leaving and starting jobs, leaving <laughs> leaving the state. Not paying his <laughs> Not bills. paying his bills. Assuming his father was violent, he had these traumatic experiences. And so I, I made this note. Holmes himself claimed he, quote, hated his parents and wished they were dead. But I mean, Holmes was also a liar. So it's just like... I don't know, man. And then he was also often described as charming and and manipulative. Like, well, he was described as charming, but charming can often be manipulative when it's used for nefarious purposes, which it was definitely in Holmes's case. And then he also had the appearance of a normal life on the surface with like wives and kids and stuff, but he was a stone cold killer. So stone cold Steve Austin. (laughs) (laughs) So like he definitely had traits from both sides of it. So I mean, obviously, dude's dead. He lived over 100 years ago. We can't psychoanalyze him for sure because we're just going based off of secondhand accounts and then the accounts from his pathological lion ass. So (laughs) I feel like, okay, so I get why they did. And I 
I wish like serial killers and stuff like this, they didn't give them the death penalty until after they do studies. I feel like with him, it's like how much of what he says can you actually believe? Well, that's true. And they also didn't really understand serial killers. Because I don't think they, that was until the 60s. Yeah, that's when it definitely became more prevalent. At the same time, Holmes is credited as being America's first serial killer. I'm sure that there were probably others who people weren't aware of at the time. But I mean, I imagine back then, especially, it, it was more so like... There were laws and all that kind of stuff were based. There were laws. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there were laws back then. Uh, No, but laws were kind of based more on morality, specifically certain areas of the country. Like um, Philadelphia, I think, was founded by the Quakers. And so they have these certain religious mindsets. I think that probably played a part in the laws. So it's just like, oh, he he murdered, so he gets murdered. You know, it was like very like low tolerance. <laughs> you murdered, you're gonna be murdered. Yeah. Um this is kind of off topic, but not but my dad is also narcissistic. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think he is. Mm. I don't think he's been diagnosed. I'm diagnosing my father as narcissistic. I guess it has drugs. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. Um, the more you know. <laughs> it's funny because when you first start taking psychology classes, they're like, we know that the compulsion is to start to diagnose everybody in your life, but try not to do that. Um, but are not the boss in me. <laughs> diagnosing people and i have no like i took like one semester of psychology but it's just the basic intro to psychology Mm because i had to have like a i was gonna say superlative but that's not correct elective Uh, yeah 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 and i was just like okay 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 (laughs) but like the first half of it is just scientific studies (laughs) studies <laughs> i don't care i want to know about the drug usages i want to know why people get depression like i want to hit the heavy topics lady but that's why you gotta take the more specialized classes I like know, abnormal psychology that was oh, one of my favorite classes but we didn't really talk too much about antisocial personality disorder and borderline personality disorder and things like that we um, talked about borderline personality disorder in my high school psychology class yeah and, and it's we we touched on it a little bit, but that one's definitely still more of a stigmatized that one diagnosis. Um, Multi personality disorder. Yes, and that is now a dissociative identity disorder. I think is what they. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, that's it. We're finally done with Holmes. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> I'm so sick of him. Yes. So we've covered his multitude of wives, his harem of wives. We've covered his primary victims, but that was not a an exhaustive list. There are potentially many, many more. I think they said the most was like 200. Yes. So the, the highest estimate they had for how many people he killed was about 200. He only actually confessed to 27, but a lot of the 27 he said he murdered were still alive. So... We'll never actually officially know. Well, um, next week will be my episode. Yes. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want you guys to know. It's a surprise. But basically going forward, we are going to be taking the reins separately on episodes. We'll also do occasional bigger cases where we talk about stuff together. I know we want to do the West Memphis 3 at some point. Yes. 
And the one that I'm looking into actually happened relatively close to where I live. I think it was like 20 minutes from where I currently live. So yeah, that should be interesting. Uh, we're going to try to see if we can get some interviews <laughs> in here a little bit. Yeah, I did message somebody involved with my case. I don't know if they're going to read it, but I don't know if they're going to want to come on. Mm-hmm. I would be a, so ecstatic if this person did, but... I don't want to say too much. Yes. So you'll just have to tune back in next week and find out. So thank you again, guys, for tuning in. We really appreciate your enthusiasm. Um, hopefully you enjoyed the second part of this episode. And if you guys have case suggestions, like if there are some cases that you definitely want covered, feel free to message us on our Instagram um, or email us. Or I know last week we just we said that we didn't know if we wanted to do Facebook, but we did start a, a Facebook group. So yes, uh, Shockingly Wicked Podcast, feel free to join. We want to emphasize it's a group and not a page. Yeah, you have to actually like submit, but it's just easier for us to monitor it this way. Uh, if it was a page, it would be kind of like out on the open. Yep. And we want it to be like a safe place for people to discuss the cases. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little harder to do on a page, but it is a group. It's a relatively small group as of right now, but feel free to join it. You can interact with us personally on there because um, we're both members. Yeah. Um, you can leave case suggestions there as well. Um, you can also submit, I believe, a voice message through Anchor. So if you wanted to suggest some cases that way or leave a review, um, don't yell at us because that's mean. I will cry. Bree said last week she will beat you up if you make me cry. Well, I said I would make them cry. I didn't say how. I'm more of the uh, psychological torture type of person. So She'll still beat you up. <laughs> Come tune in again next week. We look forward to hearing you. Hearing you. We look forward to seeing you. Uh, (laughs) We're not even seeing. What am I doing? I'm going to show. (laughs) Oh, we did start a YouTube page and a TikTok channel. Yes. So we established a YouTube page. So for any of those people who enjoy to have a visual of the podcast that they're listening to. You're not going to see us, but we did do a closed caption version of our podcast. By the time that this is posted, it will be up, but I'm currently working on doing the transcription for the first episode. So, yeah. And I just want to give a big shout out to Bree, <laughs> our editor for the episode. She makes all the cool little things like she did our Instagram trailer with the captions. She is awesome, guys. Let's just... Thanks, Britt. And a big shout out to her because she's doing the social media control stuff. She's also reaching out to people about sponsorships. And uh, we might have a couple of those in the works. Maybe, maybe. So tune in again next week where Britt will be leading the episode. Find us on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. On Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. On YouTube and Facebook. And I assume TikTok, it's all just shockingly wicked podcast. Is that correct? I will let you know about TikTok because I haven't actually, by the time you listen to this, the TikTok account will be created and there will hopefully be a couple videos. But as of right now, I don't know. On TikTok, we're going to be acting fools. You'll see our bloopers. So come uh, join us over there. So that's it for today. Signing off. Bye, (laughs) guys. Deuces. (laughs) 